Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the podcast that is unintentionally both comedy and politics. I'm Tiernan Duyeb and this week the Prime Minister and wow, Douglas the Lurpak Butterman has had a tough few years, Boris Johnson, has announced coronavirus restrictions will allow families to meet for a week from the 22nd to the 28th of December, which is a shame as now everyone's grandparents will know what they're getting for Christmas. Hooray! The government have saved Christmas, everyone! You know, in a sort of Munchausen syndrome by proxy way. We all know they could have saved Christmas back in April with correct coronavirus prevention methods, but that's not as fun, is it? This is way more Hollywood action hero-like. Not being able to save everyone, letting all the celebrations white people don't understand die first, and then at the very last minute swooping into the rescue while hoping no one notices the massive amount of destruction all around you. It doesn't matter that Christmas may be covered in bruises and bandages when you get there and you can't visit your relatives as they didn't make it past June. What matters is that they won't be the government that cancelled Christmas. Meaning that everything will be normal again and we can all go back to saying communists or Muslims are trying to ruin Christmas instead by calling it Inclusionary Winter Bumfest Day or something because a newspaper that lies said so, so it must be true. Yeah, take that Grinch. Boris Johnson is better than you. Well, except that the Grinch didn't let over 50,000 people die unnecessarily and at the end his heart grew three times bigger, which means he had one to begin with. So I still think it's one nil to the Grinch. We always knew the month of lockdown would end in tears, so the government has made sure of that by returning to the three-tier system we had before lockdown, but you know, different to the one you already weren't sure of, because the only consistency this government are able to have is the Prime Minister's general mass looking like semolina poured out of a cement mixer. A three-tier plan, you say? Like the one that didn't stop a rise in infections last time and forced us into a lockdown? Yeah, that sounds like a great way to stop a rise in infections and ensure we don't go into a lockdown again. Still, gleefully making the same mistake twice does sound like a very good Conservative Party slogan. Coronavirus cases are dropping except in school-aged children and by people catching it in supermarkets because, hey, every little helps, right? But with the new restrictions, meaning non-essential shops and gyms can reopen, it'll take pressure off schools and Sainsbury's by allowing people to catch it elsewhere instead. Boris Johnson announced the new measures in the Commons via Zoom while still self-isolating in number 10. But before MPs could ask him any questions about it, the sound on his feed completely cut out in the most perfect amalgamation of 2020 themes so far. There's also some of the most clear and honest answers that the Prime Minister's managed to date. 
In his address to the nation that evening, where sadly he could be heard, Johnson said there will be a new and exciting possibilities of community testing. And I suppose after being stuck in lockdown for so long, it will be exciting to have to drive hundreds of miles to a new community just to get one. Get a test to help us squeeze the disease, was one of Johnson's new catchphrases, his entire personality now reduced down to a drive-time radio DJ on poppers. Before he churned out, tis the season to be jolly, but it's also the season to be jolly careful, which I think may be one of the worst things anyone has ever said in the history of ever. I feel like the last few weeks of this year are just going to be him repeating things that haven't worked from within a number 10 cupboard, with more and more awful taglines before Johnson gives up and shouts, you can't stop a corn popper popping his corn, as the feed freezes on an image of him trying to shag the podium. These measures are all necessary to save the economy, as Chancellor and the Marks and Spencer Funds, Rishi Sunak, is doing his 7 billion spending review this week, where he'll warn of an economic shock, something that won't affect him in any way, despite Sunak not being remotely grounded. Instead, public sector workers are being told that they'll have to bear the brunt with a pay freeze, but not for doctors and nurses, as they've been pivotal to tackling the virus, meaning that their reward is the shit pay they already had. Teachers, however, are going to be hit as the government is keen to educate them that teaching children through a pandemic and dealing with insufficient safety measures isn't as worthy of masses of cash as making an app that doesn't work or selling poor quality PPE. Why don't they understand? The government are pledging £16.5 billion for defence, though, and the cash will be used for an agency dedicated to artificial intelligence, hopefully to make up for the lack of biological intelligence in the cabinet. And a space command, because post-Brexit we're going to have to travel further to find anyone willing to trade with us. Modernising the armed forces extends British influence, according to the Prime Minister, which I think just means soldiers will now have higher quality cameras to film their illegal torture videos on when restoring democracy to somewhere that has a more humanitarian government than we do. So that's where teachers have really gone wrong all this time, and to think how many of them would have had an easier go teaching classes if they just carried massive guns. If only hospital staff had thought to bomb the virus. Sunak has promised that he'll redress the anti-Northern spending bias by creating more public sector jobs in Northern England so they can all have their pay frozen like absolutely everyone else. The Chancellor insists that people will not see austerity, which suggests that he'll just do it when no one's looking. But this is all okay because there will be a week of Christmas when we can all mingle with loved ones during the 10 days coronavirus will be having its seasonal break after a big office party the Friday before where it'll make cheeky copies of its own cells and won't even bother using mistletoe as an excuse to jump down someone's throat. Scientists have said there'll be a cost of families getting together over Christmas, but that is true of every Christmas, to be fair. It's fucking expensive. At least this way, there'll be less people to buy presents for in future years. All the UK nations have backed household mixing for a small number of days because I guess they think it's more important to embrace the season for giving. It's of no surprise that the government think it's top priority that the last sound your nan may hear before the beeps of the ICU is a fart like a whale noise to the backdrop of Mrs Brown's boy's Christmas special, or that shooting first is more important than ever asking anyone questions, or answering them. These are the values of politicians whose moral code is based entirely on how much you paid for it. Take the Home Secretary, because, well, that's what she does to other people without warning. Sorry, I mean Pretty Patel, a.k.a. Kim Harsh from Liberty Negs, who was found to have breached ministerial code for bullying staff, something that she'd just say was her workshopping her methods of making criminals and anyone foreign feel terror before she took them out on the road. What? Pretty Patel a workplace bully? Yeah, I know, I'm shocked too. I mean, I'd have never have guessed that from literally everything else she's ever said and done that all seem to revolve around punishing others for escaping violence or wanting equal rights or to breathe in the future. I always just thought they were several character one-offs that all happened to keep happening consistently. 
The Cabinet Office inquiry found that Patel had not been treating civil servants with the consideration and respect required under the code. But the government said that actually Patel was only responsible for unintentional bullying. Yes, number 10 is so shit they can't even bully on purpose. Johnson got MPs to rally around Patel, referring to her in a WhatsApp group as the Pritster, a name that makes her sound like a supervillain who threatens lawyers and demands $300,034,974,000 ransom. Many online said it sounded like a type of glue, but that doesn't work as nothing seems to stick to Patel at all. Same with this. The Home Secretary gave a half-hearted response saying she was sorry that her behaviour in the past has upset people, which is a mealy-mouthed way of screaming, I'm sorry you're all weaklings or have feelings, but I did try to beat them out of you. And then Johnson insisted there was no place for bullying before refusing to sack the Home Secretary, so it's likely that finding a place specifically for bullying will be her next assignment from number 10. Senior civil servant and Batman's butler, Sir Alex Allen, resigned as Johnson's independent advisor on ministerial code as well. What's the fucking point? You may as well be Johnson's independent advisor on not putting his penis into kitchen implements. You can shout about the dangers of the toaster all you like, but you and I know that at the end of the day, he'll just do what he likes. Here's the thing, bullying staff is only bullying staff when someone like former speaker and constant badger John Burko does it because he got in the way of government plans. But when Patel does it, it's not bullying, it's just being tough and assertive in that she's asserted that certain people need to be bullied and it's tough if they don't like it. The report that condemned Patel's behaviour has actually been with Johnson's office since April, but it was only revealed to the public last Thursday in the midst of anti-bullying week. Now, we may all call into question if government incompetence could be any more ridiculous and self-defeating, but maybe Johnson just believed that by defending a bully who was being criticised, he was therefore showing that no one should be bullied, even bullies. A message that would work if this was a lovely movie where Patel would now turn over a new leaf and become a kind-hearted volunteer for a refugee charity, having learned lots of lessons. But in reality, she'll just keep doing that grin whenever she hears someone's drowned and try her best to get black people arrested. Rumours are flying around that she'll be demoted in Johnson's upcoming reshuffle, but not because of the bullying accusations, just because of incompetence, apparently. You see, Johnson's realised he really needs a Home Secretary who's even better at bullying and won't get caught this time. It's basically the job description for that entire department. Meanwhile, I'm sure Pretty Patel will go somewhere like the DWP where she can spend her days excelling at kicking people's walking sticks away while telling them to get jobs as draft excluders. Labour leader and squarehead protractor Keir Starmer said it was hard to imagine another workplace in the UK where Pretty Patel's behaviour would be condoned, which shows just how unimaginative he is because he's still ignoring the report about racial abuse and bullying within his own party with still no date for the Ford inquiry to be released. Though, let's be fair, by ignoring it, he's not condoning it, Starmer's just abstaining and I'm sure he thinks that's absolutely enough to deal with it. Starmer has been very busy all week playing political hokey-cokey, as after former leader and Borlotti Bean Jeremy Corbyn was suspended from the party, he was then reinstated before having the whip removed the very same day. Which means Corbyn is still in Labour and still an MP, but not a Labour MP, which I now think makes him basically the same as all the members of the party who spent the past four years trying to sabotage their own chance of winning elections. The National Executive Committee ruled to readmit Corbyn as it's not actually a decision for the leadership office and by tampering with disciplinaries, Starmer could actually be in breach of the EHRC report himself. But on Corbyn's readmittance, Starmer insisted there'd still be a three-month suspension from the PLP, which if anything just means Corbyn can oppose Labour policies like he has done for most of his MP career and he won't attend any of the PLP meetings that no one really wants him at and he doesn't want to be at, making Starmer think that he's abstaining and therefore taking decisive action. 
The Labour leader said he didn't want to cause a split in the party, which is OK, because he didn't. It's been there for at least 10 years. But nearly 60,000 party members have left since the kerfuffle, and Unite the Union are talking about withdrawing funding from the party. But it should be OK, as Starm will be able to get it back from all the arms dealers that used to support them, who've since started donating to the party again from August. I'm sure Starm will be very forensic about which ones he works with, and 100% stand up to any who supply illegal wars by not letting them know, staying at home and assuming they'll somehow get the message. In other news, Boris Johnson has announced his green industrial revolution, though it's not to be known if that's green as in climate friendly or in terms of all the cash he'll be fobbing off to his mates for ineffective projects. Chances are the only revolution that's actually likely to happen is the government's about turn on every single one of the policies they've already pledged. Johnson got in trouble earlier in the week for allegedly saying that devolution had been a disaster in Scotland, but many Scottish people incorrectly took that as an insult, when in fact it's a compliment coming from the main disaster in England himself. Brexit talks have stalled after a member of the negotiating team of your old head teacher who always looked like he'd just woken up, Michel Barnier, tested positive for Covid. Still, it's nice to see we've added more to the list of things we're willing to export to the EU. In Covid news, dazed hamster Dido Harding was told by the NHS app that she's in charge of to self-isolate, and it's depressing that it's up to her own failed project to straight up ask her to reveal her contacts when absolutely none of the major press can be bothered. It was revealed a Spanish businessman bagged $21 million for being the go-between for a government bid for PPE, despite it mainly finding manufacturers for deals that had already been done. Not only is that a terrible waste of money, but if someone goes between PPE and NHS staff, it entirely ruins the point of them. Yet again, the government have spent tons and tons of cash on things that are merely middling. Lastly, the Oxford University vaccine is said to be 70% successful, which is likely to have not got it a place at the university had it applied. Still, anyone who takes it will no doubt automatically get a master's vaccine too and be connected with all the best cures in the country straight away. Though, sadly, it's very unlikely to be handed out to anyone who went to a state school. Hey, 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 how's you, Parpol Browers? Um, I hope you are all doing fine and dandy in yet another week of lockdown. Um, I'm not saying this year has made me much less sympathetic to others' uh, needs uh, and more selfish, but our daughter's nursery had to close end of last week as a staff member tested positive for COVID. And my first thoughts were not, um, oh, I really hope that person is okay and they're not, you know, really suffering from the virus. But instead they were, oh, shit, I'm going to have to look after my daughter all of next week. How fucking inconsiderate. Which is awful, isn't it? It is awful. But so is the lack of nursery this week and having to spend every single day trying to figure out how I stop her crying because she doesn't want to eat the sandwich she just asked for and is now inconsolable. Two-year-olds are such dicks. Um, Anyway, because of that, this admin bit is not very long and also today is my wife's birthday and as if a lockdown birthday wasn't bad enough, uh, she now has to be on childcare while I do this. So needless to say, I have failed on the birthday front. Um, It's a bit like I bought her an escape room experience but where she can't escape and all the clues as to why there is endless whining and crying don't make any sense and will never ever be figured out it's just it's actually torture it's, it sounds like some sort of torture so very quickly um in order to save her from that um thank you tons and tons to james for his lovely email about last week's episode uh with the excluded uk team and for upping his patreon donation and to claire for joining the patreon crew too thank you for doing that um you goddamn bloody heroes um also tar tons to uh Daz and ratch uh connell taz and kofi supporter for the kofi donations too and should you also think I'm deserving of your funds, um, or maybe you want to pay me shed loads to quit this show and have a sleep, um, then you can do either of those things at the patreon.com forward slash parpolbro, the uh, ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro site, or the ACAST supporter button on the ACAST app. Um, I'm not sure how much would be reasonable for me um, to just stop doing this show, but honestly, it'll be a lot less than you think. Um, I'll probably take a fiver 
Probably a fiver. Um, as always, if you can't donate, or even if you can, I would just blooming love it if you gave this show a nice review on any of the podcast apps that do reviews, um, particularly Apple Podcasts, as that's the biggest one in it. Um, a lovely five-star review and your favourite swear. Um, that's all you need to put on there, maybe. You don't need to write anything other than that. Um, anything, anything would be very appreciated, as it does help drag in more unsuspecting listeners, so they too can hear me wang on about reviews and donations every bloody week like a shit parrot. Um, of course, any plug-in of this show to the people you know would also put you in my good books, as in uh, just the books I like reading. I haven't got like a good book or like a book of good names. I just let's do a squiggle in whatever I read last and I didn't hate. Um, it's probably going to ruin my Kindle, but hey, it will be worth it. Um, that's it. That's it for admin this week. There's no other bussiness. Um, but as well as the aforementioned James sending a nice email about last week's show, several of you also tweeted, Facebooked, and sent smoke signals saying that you were moved by last week's interview. And I forward many of them on to Chris and Rachel at Exclude UK, who are very, very touched by the support. So thank you tons for that. Um, on this week's show, I'm speaking to Polish activist. Uh, Ursula Kuczynska um, about the political horrors over in Central Europe and there is also a longer than is necessary look about the 10 point green industrial revolution announced by Johnson last week but look if you can't be bothered to listen to that just assume what a climate change tackling plan would be like from him and you'll be exactly right think about it think about it yeah that's it you're absolutely spot on Uh, you may as well prepare and buy your swimming gear right now Poland is a country we don't hear about on the news in the UK very often, uh, perhaps because it would be too embarrassing for us to report on a country suffering from populist leadership where loads of citizens have recently returned home from the UK because things here were worse. Well, except actually they aren't, as Poland is one of the OG populism embracers, you know, doing it before it was uncool, and like all trendsetters, they've taken it beyond its natural form, added extra church influence, and are now in full-on Handmaid's Tale level of scary. The country that geographically is in the centre of Europe but is straying towards the far right of politics has just recently had a near-total ban on abortion pushed through by the government as the latest in a long line of very, very worrying policies that recently included blocking EU help for Covid-hit areas, doing nothing to tackle the dirtiest energy production in Europe, doing nothing to stop far-right movements, taking over state media and they're now trying to push through a bill to ban all LGBT plus celebrations like Pride. One of the more positive stereotypes Brits have of Polish people is that they're very hard workers and rarely take breaks, but that is definitely not a good thing when the Polish government puts that work ethic into work that no one wanted done. The Law and Justice Party, or Pravo i Sprevidosht, which I've probably said horrifically wrong, uh, in yet another party where it turns out their name are all the things they don't like, got into power in 2015, with the first outright majority in Poland since the fall of communism. On the platform of tackling corruption, but also liberal democracy. Because, hey, who wants that when you can not have any fun instead? Yet, surprise, surprise, ever since they were elected, the party's been rife with corruption and nepotism, with over 1,000 family members and friends of the party placed into public companies or ministries, which, as well as being a horrific power grab and very dodgy, also makes you wonder what kind of sickos actively want to work with their family members. Weird. They've been paying trolls to cause anger online, hiding paedophiles in the Catholic Church and helping them escape prosecution, and there's evidence of some high-ranking members of the party having connections with the Mafia. Basically, it's like a whole party of Trumps, which would be the very worst sort of party, though on the plus side they'd be so self-absorbed they wouldn't notice if you left early. In recent weeks, though, the abortion ban seems to be the final straw for many Polish citizens, and thousands and thousands have taken to the streets as part of a women's strike, which has the brilliant tagline of Vipia Dalek which translated means get the fuck out, a line that works both in terms of orders for the government and also shows a strong pro-abortion sentiment. 
The Law and Justice Party's popularity is rapidly dropping and it feels like things may be finally about to change. So, when it's like the UK is just a few steps behind, what better time to look over at Poland and take heed of what may come? Though, let's be fair, we might be saved by the fact that Boris Johnson's work ethic involves an awful lot more holidays and far too many breaks. This week I spoke to the brilliant Ursula Kuczynska, an activist in Poland who's been very involved with the Warsaw Women's Strike, co-founded a trade union, works with humanitarian organisations and is part of Lewica Razum, an extra-parliamentary club of left-wing politicians working together to promote equality for all. Yes, she sounds awesome, and she very much is. I've no idea how she had time to give me a 101 on Polish politics right now, but somehow she did, while a very large cat called Grendel sat on her lap throughout. Um, This is not only a very important listen because of Poland's future, but also if I played a beep sound effect every time you heard echoes of UK politics right now, this interview would sound like R2D2 having a seizure. Um, And I don't give this credit enough in the interview, but early on Ursula says the phrase, they absolutely lost their shoes and are walking barefoot right now. And I would really like this phrase to be in the British vernacular. Thank you. Sort that out. Thank you. Enjoy. Here is Ursula. Hi, Ursula. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I think probably a good place to start uh, for uh, the listeners who may not know a lot about Poland um, and, and Polish politics. But uh, recently there have been absolutely massive women's strike protests, which uh, I've looked at a lot of the pictures of and footage of, and they look absolutely incredible. Um, can you tell us a bit about why those have happened and, uh, you know, why, what's kind of galvanised so many uh, people to get together um, to protest? Uh, sure. You know, like, first of all, thank you for the invite. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting to see because you're asking me this question today uh, and the protests are still ongoing, you know, like they started actually on October the 22nd. Uh, which was the day, it was Thursday, uh, which was the day when our, let's say, constitutional tribunal, like constitutional court that had been overtaken by the conservatists and the right wing that is in power right now in Poland, they issued, um, well, a judgment, I would say, that the present, the current anti-abortion law in Poland is not in line with the Polish constitution. And they decided to restrict access to abortion further, denying women the right to terminate their pregnancy in case of uh, serious fetal abnormalities and deformations. And this is what had people take to the streets. Like Friday the 23rd of October was the day when under the conditions, you know, of the greatest health crisis we've had in decades, with so many people in quarantine in hospitals and so many people afraid to actually go out, there was uh, almost a million of people out in the streets, in the cities, in towns, second-tier cities, third-tier cities, and in villages, in places where protest had never taken place before. People were everywhere and they were angry. It was mostly women, obviously, but, uh, you know, women make half the population of any given country. And they were, of course, joined by, you know, by their allies, yeah, and by their friends. And the protests have been ongoing because it's not only this decision, but, um, you know, this decision by this purely political decision by the constitutional court, it tapped into like a deeper sense of dissatisfaction 
with what has been happening in Poland recently, with how the governing party has been treating us as a society. And this touched on something very personal. So people started feeling personally threatened and it erupted in the form of these protests and it's ongoing. Like, you know, today the protests are going to take place in Warsaw, but also in like towns of 15,000 inhabitants. And of course, you know, there is less people protesting right now, three weeks onwards, but they have no intention to stop, you know, like those protests are not going anywhere. Oh, that's really inspiring to hear that, 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 that even in sort of small villages, people are coming out to, to protest against this. That must make you feel, I know, some faith in humanity. That's really good. Um, and and I, I guess, as you, as you said, this is sort of a culmination of, of not just protests against this one uh group of policies that are banning abortions but all the things that the that the government yeah. are doing i know they're sort of planning to ban lgbt and pride marches among other things yes. and and you know across the western world we've seen a rise in populism and, and fascism um is this kind of far-right policy is this something that you've been seeing for a long time in poland or has it been happening in line with the rest of the world uh, I would say, you know, this is very, this is something that I like to uh, stress uh, wh- when I, um, wh- uh, you know, when I talk about it, because in Poland it has been ongoing for quite a while. But it's very interesting to see that in Poland, very often, like the very dangerous tendencies tend to erupt first, culminate first and then um, take much longer to wear off than in other countries. Like, um, so we saw the rise of right-wing populism before you saw that in Western Europe. And of course, we can analyze and go into uh, reasons for it, including, you know, the transformation, like from the socialist communist country into the market-driven economy in its extreme form that would have never been possible in Germany, France, or even the UK, and not even now, right? So I would say that this sped up things for us. And, uh, you know, on our example, like Polish example, can actually like show you and really drive home what can happen if, let's say, Europe or Western societies continue down this very path. So you sort of do things, do things first and hardest, and then uh, you kind of, the rest of the world see uh, look, look to you for example. Um, but why, why have you had such a, a swing the other way? Because I mean, you know, without just going down the obvious route, Poland's history—you'd think that uh, people wouldn't would be so opposed to a, a kind of uh, right-wing government and some of the very authoritarian um, measures that they're bringing in. Um, you know, what's it to do with that's kind of caused this this complete change in politics in, in the last uh, decade, uh, I suppose? And and is it how much of it is also to do with religion and um, the change in how religious Poland is as a country? Uh, you know, like you're touching on a very interesting subject here because, yeah, like one would think that Poland should be the place that has been actually vaccinated vaccinated against uh you know right wing politics and totalia uh, you know totalitarian tendencies but this is simply not true you know because there is like a historic and historical truth to the fact that those kind of tendencies arise uh 
you know, in times of crisis and to compensate for something. And they offer very easy solutions to very complex problems. Okay, so this is this is, you know, this is what we are kind of dealing with, because this is what right wing has on offer in and right wing populism has on offer. That's very easy answers to very complex problems. So something that people, you know, especially like today when we are living hectic lives and everything seems to be falling apart, you know, that it's easy to cling to because that's something you can rely on also like in terms of identity, et cetera, et cetera, right? So this is the thing. Another thing is that, you know, um, when uh, leaving, let's say, the era of communism behind us, uh, we made like a great leap towards the Catholic Church because Catholic Church in Poland under communism was seen as this, um, let's say, safe space for the opposition and for the democratic forces. Right. So actually, like, uh, uh, you know, this transformation to market liberal capitalism in our case meant uh, allowing the Catholic Church and religion enter public life. And it didn't happen overnight, uh, but uh, but actually it did. And then it only got worse, you know. Because like the first anti-abortion law that we had introduced in Poland, it was, they date back to 1993. Yeah. Uh, so right after the transformation. And the story, uh, the story goes like this. There was like a massive referendum, okay? There were 2 million people who signed a petition not to change, you know, the free access to abortion law that was enforced, you know, under the communist rule in Poland. But they were completely ignored by the politicians who decided to make out of women's rights a thank you gift to the Catholic Church for their, let's say, contribution to, you know, overthrowing communism, etc., etc. So it's been 30 years that the Catholic Church has been lobbying for a blanket ban on abortion in Poland. And it's been 30 years that they have been infiltrating like the highest levels of politics and authorities and government. Because right now we are at a place where, um, you know, Ordo Iuris, which is like a religious sect, it's a religious fundamentalist sect that was behind, um, you know, the blanket ban on abortion proposal in 2016. They work in ministries. They have positions in the ministries. They are, like recently, they have been acknowledged as an official scientific publishing house. My God. You know? So, uh, so it's like we opened the door, we opened the door, you know, in the early 90s. And it's simply, and right now, it's like a wave of religion. You know, we have Catholic... Uh, like religion um, in our schools, yeah, like regular classes. Um, uh, we have politicians preaching from, uh, from in churches, you know, the signatures under a proposal to ban pride marches for LGBT community. You know, those signatures, they are collected in churches and in parishes. 
And I would, uh, you know, and this going to touch on Ireland, which is not ver- that far from you <laughs> and that you're going to be sharing a border with uh, soon enough. Uh, you know, because there is a lot of talk about how Ireland and Poland are similar uh, in a sense, and it is very, very visible today. Because I know that, you know, in the UK, religion, Catholic Church are not uh, a big topic, but it's only recently. Uh, that actually uh, the Polish public had no choice but to actually get to see how, um, you know, the years of pedophile scandals in the Catholic Church were swept under the carpet by the very saint John Paul II. So we are also living through a time when the symbol of democratic change, democracy, and this great poll that we are all so proud of, uh, that the Polish public is realizing that he wasn't all that saint. For all those years, it was easy to pretend uh, that we don't know about it, you know, because nothing has ever been published, etc. But with the recent report from the Vatican and with the publication of... uh, of a really extensive documentary on how um, the personal assistant of John Paul II, the Polish bishop, Dziwisz, spent decades covering up for the you know, Bishop of Newark, for McCarrick, and for the Golado, etc. Right now, they can no longer pretend they don't know. So uh, we are seeing a massive movement of like activists changing the names of uh, streets and squares on the maps of Poland in Google, for instance, where streets, the street of John Paul II becomes the street of the victims of John Paul II. And uh, the square of the Saint John Paul II becomes the square of the victims of Saint John Paul II. So that's what's happening and that's something that's something uh, that personally I have been long waiting for. Yeah, that's very powerful to hear that. That's amazing that people are doing that. And I, and I, I suppose also there's that's got to create disconnect with people who are hearing that they're kind of, um, you know, the, the Catholic Church and, and the government are saying, talking about the abortion laws and presumably from the basis of saving children, and yet they also have this history in the Catholic Church. That's got to create some disconnect between the people that, that follow them? Uh, Of course, you know, mechanisms of denial, uh, you know, the force is strong with those ones. Uh, So, of course, but uh, this is something uh, that can no longer be ignored. And even the right-wing politicians right now, they have this hot potato uh, on their hands that they don't know what to do with uh, because they are actually facing like a public pressure on holding somebody accountable. You know, while the clergy in Poland has been absolutely untouchable until today. And the pressure from the right-wing public and from the Catholics on the right-wingers is growing as well, you know. So they have two hot potatoes on their hands right now. is the pedophilia scandals and it's the women's rights. And they are lost. They have they absolutely lost their shoes uh, and are walking barefoot right now. You saw, you briefly mentioned it when we were talking about the marches, but obviously we're in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic, and I know uh, Poland's had a, a big rise um, this time around. That you, you didn't have it 
it's so bad in spring like we did here, but I know that right now you, you've got quite a lot of infections. And is having the church in scientific ministries and the church playing such a, a big part in, in politics, is that affecting how coronavirus is being dealt with in Poland? Uh, of course. You know, like I would say that we were spared in springtime compared to what happened in Western Europe. The point is uh, that our government, you know, uh, they really didn't take the time uh, to prepare for for what was coming and for what we knew was coming in autumn. So since uh, the lockdown in March and April, until the restrictions they imposed like a few weeks ago, they did literally nothing. There was like a you know, there was a reconstruction of the government. There was a reshufflement of the ministries. What's worse, they ran presidential elections and the whole, you know, presidential campaign on the premises that the epidemic is under control and on the premises that, you know, nothing bad will happen because they had to have all the old people who are their natural, like, electorate they wanted them not to be afraid and go out and vote for their candidate, you know, who won by 1%. You know, he got like 51% of votes, right? So they spent the whole months convincing the public that nothing, you know, that the epidemic was actually withdrawing and was going to spare us in the fall as well. And when it hit, it hit with a vengeance and it hit with a vengeance because of really bad decisions. Like, we know from time perspective that it was extremely irresponsible to run that presidential campaign. It was extremely irresponsible to open schools and all of them on September the 1st, including the fact that in the meantime, they introduced a reform on education that saw uh, double the amount of first graders in high schools. You know, uh, and, uh, you know, and we had scandals, like it turned out that our former health minister, he ordered, you know, masks from, uh, uh, that didn't meet the requirements. Uh, they bought, uh, you know, the m- machines, like the respirators to assist for assisted breathing from some kind of guy that was involved in uh, uh, arm trading and stuff. Um, they did absolutely nothing. They didn't expand the number of hospital beds, nothing. You know, simply repeating the refrain that it's going to be all right, we have it all under control. And now it hit with a vengeance. People see that. But how in your, do you, like, marry in your mind the fact that somebody was denying the existence of the pandemic in July because they had to organize the elections and... Uh, cannot deal with it, <laughs> uh, with the reality of it today when it's actually happening, you know. So people are tired of everything, including the pandemic, you know. It's a risk. It's a threat that's been hanging over our heads for the recent weeks. Uh, and all we saw was denial and incompetence and this propaganda of great success that Everybody, even, you know, the people supporting the government, they know it's just not true because it's impossible, you know, to have an appointment with a doctor right now. Um, You wait for COVID tests in lines that take weeks, you know. It's like it's all falling apart. And, you know, under such circumstances, when everybody feels threatened, you know, health-wise, they go further, right? They... uh, you know, they, they decide to force half the population 
to carry deformed fetuses to term and to give birth to children that will not live beyond their, you know, babyhood or, you know, beyond a couple of hours. Um, it, it, it's incredible to, you know, like when you do not take it personally, but are a simple observer, it's incredible how, how you know, like all of this taken together. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's also fascinating listening to you just how much it echoes, you know, very much what's happening here in the UK with not only how badly we're dealing with coronavirus, but also how all our PPE contracts have gone to places that can't supply them. And and again, in, in the States, you know, what happened with Trump and, it, you know, coronavirus can't be dealt with by kind of populist policies because it's real and happens very quickly and immediately and, and actively affects people. Um and I, I wondered if, you know, you said that the public support is maybe changing. I mean, not just because of all the marches, but obviously people are, you know, afraid of the virus and seeing that it's happening around them. Um, do you think that public view in general is very different to the government? Are they supported by a certain generation of people in Poland? Like like we've had in the UK, you know, there's a massive generational divide here now. It's pretty much over 60s vote for our government and no one else. And I, I wonder if you're having a similar situation in Poland that, the, that you know, the, there's a whole generation of people that don't want this, or have never wanted this, and they're the ones now fighting against it. And But you're kind of stuck where you are because of uh, a certain age group. Uh, yeah, like uh, I, I would say that you are spot on, you know, because I would say that the protests are generational. It's the young people who took to the streets. Uh, and, uh, you know, the right right wing politicians and pol- uh, policies are supported by the older generation. That's why, like I told you, uh, during the election time, they wanted people not to be afraid of the virus because they wanted the elderly to go and go out and vote, you know? So, uh, so, so yeah, it is, it is very similar in a way it is generational, but here it's also the division, uh, the divide between big cities, uh, you know, and the countryside that uh, never really profited from, you know, the development in uh, also the economic development in recent years, who felt left alone and cut off from, let's say, the progress and the fruits of uh, of their labor and everything. Uh, So there is also that, you know, it's that, uh, you know, in Poland is still a rural society. You know, we have 60% of population living in small towns and in the countryside. So this is a massive group, group of people that were, let's say, symbolically left behind. So, so there is that, yeah. And the protests, they are generational because, you know, um, during the first term of the law and justice, so the ruling party in office, when the first term they were in office, there were like massive protests against like the reform on uh, courts. Uh, there were also like women's protests, etc. But at the time it was, um, let's say, people... Uh, in their 40s and 50s protesting, wondering, oh, where the hell are all the young people? Why aren't they protesting with us? Well, today it's the young people protesting, okay? It's even the high schoolers organizing the protests. It's students. Uh, it's people who uh, actually, like, spend their whole, like, say, let's say, conscious life under the rule of the right-wingers, and who are simply fed up with what they see and with what they experience, you know, like personally in schools 
at universities, uh, and in the public media. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film. If only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for fifteen dollars a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential plan on us. Mintmobile. com slash switch. Upfront payment of forty five dollars, equivalent to fifteen dollars per month, unlimited over forty gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at four eighty p. Active Mint customers by five thirty one twenty four get six months of Paramount Plus Essential plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May thirty first, twenty twenty four. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Since two thousand thirteen, Bombas has donated over one hundred million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over one thousand one hundred and fifty-seven days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. That's bombas.com/acast code acast. And we'll be back with Ursula in a minute. But first, one of the questions that popped up repeatedly during the 2019 general election campaign was why haven't the Conservatives costed their manifesto? It turns out that the answer, as we can see again this week, is because they let Labour cost theirs and then plan to just nick all their ideas, but do the much worse which should save a bit of cash so they can give it to a pal instead. This week, Boris Johnson announced the Green Industrial Revolution with a 10-point plan, which sounds like it might be referring to all the manoeuvres he'll be doing when he U-turns out of all of it. But actually, it sounds more like the Green Industrial Revolution plan from Labour's 2019 manifesto, but with less points to it. That's not to say it's terrible, because, you know, it's something, which, as we all know, in Conservative law means it's not nothing, which is what they had before this, and therefore means they're doing the minimal amount towards tackling climate change, while also putting someone who likes fracking in charge of the Climate Change Conference in Glasgow next year. Sure, that could be the beginning of an amazing retribution film a la Dangerous Minds, where a climate change denier gets a job working with people who are trying to stop it, and by the end has them all winning the school's musical competition with some nuns. No, sorry, I've got confused. I'm just saying that, once again, this might all sound nice if you read the name of Johnson's plan, then go to bed and never ever look at it ever again. But otherwise, there's a lot more glaring emissions than ways to tackle emissions. And here for your enjoyment... No, wait, what's the other word I mean? Yes, sorry, despair. Here for your despair is just what I'm talking about. Big Pledge One is to produce enough offshore wind to power every home, supporting 60,000 jobs and quadrupling the wind that we produce by 2030. Now, you might immediately think, how can Johnson promise to produce enough wind? I mean, listen to him. See? Exactly. Actually, offshore wind has dropped in price in recent years, though I'm not sure how, as it's wind and you can often have it for free by, you know, going outside. Regardless of how capitalism has managed to charge for wind, wind farm construction is booming, but the UK's electricity grid doesn't have the capacity to deal with a vast increase in energy from those giant whirring metal flowers. Not only that, but there's concern that in rushing to build loads of wind farms, construction will damage other wildlife and marine conservation areas, because there's absolutely no way the government will think that through, and will no way figure out that the increase in flying squirrels is directly their fault. Unsurprisingly, another worry is that contracts will be given to overseas companies for all of this, meaning the UK won't even be able to blow its own wind trumpet about green profits, let alone its wind farms. Especially as old swell-faced David Cameron brought in reforms that stopped us building any in England. Obviously, there's been no elaboration on any of those concerns from the government, so it's very likely this policy will be like a candle in the, um, yeah, look, you get it, write your own jokes. 
Number two is all about hydrogen and using it loads to eventually have a whole town powered entirely by it by the end of the decade. Except the main source of hydrogen is as a side ting from gas extraction, meaning for more hydrogen, you got to frack on down. More fracking would mean more environmental disruption, which, along with the potential acres of turbines stuffed on top of endangered whales, is a really interesting way of problem solving, by just creating an equally shit different problem. I wouldn't put it past this government to create more recreational space for kids by letting them legally play on train tracks, or find a new way to properly fireproof all buildings by using asbestos. Number three is all about using more nuclear energy, and if you've watched the TV series Chernobyl, you'll probably have your own ideas as to why letting a government that couldn't even make a phone app that works be in charge of nuclear radiation might be a bad idea. Actually, though, the main issue now is cost. Hinkley Point is the only nuclear power plant that anyone's building in the UK, and that's been subject to so many problems that when it's finally built, it'll be the most expensive power source in the country. To avoid any more would mean massive rising electricity bills for all us plebs in order to cover it. Two further power plants were meant to be in Wales and Suffolk, but the former was abandoned by Hitachi and now doesn't look like it'll be happening and the latter is under review. So basically it's not how the nuclear energy reacts that's the problem as to whether this is viable right now, it's how the economy does. Point four is about electric vehicles, and the plan is to phase out all new petrol and diesel cars by 2030, so it'll only be plug-in ones manufactured after that, which is exciting as I've always, always wanted to drive a real-life scale electrics. This is a good thing, overall, but again, there's no detail as to who will cover the infrastructure to make this happen. Car companies are going to be in financial trouble post-Brexit if there's no good deal with the EU. Electric cars will be too costly for many to buy unless there's government backing to reduce costs, and there's also no info on how big fat trucks and lorries will be made electric, or how charging points will be built everywhere or if I'll be able to use my say electrics remote to control someone else's cars and if I press the button too hard will they fly off the loop the loop track Five is improving public transport so less people will be reliable on the cars they've spent lots of money on making electric. And this is again a great policy, but firstly, Covid got to do one so people aren't afraid of the trains anymore. Lots more money needs to be invested in cycle-friendly measures and not just investing in more cranks and rubbish spokespeople. Yeah, those are rubbish cycling puns, but then you just do your own losers. Seriously, what is this? Six is all about aviation and maritime. No, not making weddings more sustainable, but boats and that. Johnson says they'll help those... Six is all about aviation and maritime. No, not making weddings more sustainable, duh, but boats and that. Uh, Johnson says they're going to help make those difficult-to-go green industries somehow make the leap and fund projects to make zero-emissions planes. Really big paper ones, maybe. Maybe? Uh, Most emissions from flights are by a handful of regular plane takers rather than holidaymakers, so attacks on frequent flying would probably really help, which is why, of course, the government aren't keen on doing it. The shipping industry seems reluctant to reduce emissions, but I guess, why would it? I mean, more emissions mean eventually more sea, and they've seen Waterworld, and they want to become kings. I see you, Maritime Crew. I see you. Making homes and public buildings more energy efficient is numero seven, with an aim to install 600,000 heat pumps to replace gas boilers every year by 2028. Uh, This will, of course, be made easier by the likelihood councils will have had to sell off all public buildings by then to stay afloat, so that's one thing the government won't have to worry about. The Green Homes Grant to help people insulate their homes better and make them less planet fuckery runs out end of March 2021, so they might want to keep that going if anyone's actually going to do it. Similarly, heat pumps could cost £10,000, so no one's going to want to fork out for that when they could just put an extra jumper on instead. The UK has some of the least energy efficient homes in the world, so this is a key one to get to any climate tackling targets. They'll also need to build better, newer homes too, and not just ones for housing minister and conceited jelly Robert Jenrick to own. 
Eight is all about carbon capturing and storing harmful emissions, but obviously the problem is that Pretty Patel wants to detain them indefinitely. No, uh, really, this is needed too. And we'd have done it ages ago if all the funding for that wasn't scrapped during austerity times by the, yeah, you've guessed it, Conservative government. So now, of course, it'll cost loads and loads to do and no one will want to pay for it and chances are high that we'll all be told that public sector workers will have to inhale a certain amount of carbon a day to be true heroes or something like that and there'll be a weekly round of applause for anyone who stores the most inside themselves. Nine is about preserving nature and planting lots of trees, which the Conservative government has failed to meet any targets on so far. The government's conservation watchdog Natural England has been cut to shit and all of its staff are underpaid. Plus, it looks like post-Brexit environmental regulations will mean that all land is up for grabs, not including all the places that will already be fracked to smithereens or have a wind farm slammed into it. So, there's every chance that by preserving nature, the Conservatives mean keeping things sorted for all their pals that were born into money and therefore somehow biologically deserve it. And lastly, number 10 is Innovation and Finance, which is about developing green tech and making the City of London the centre of green finance, which again is a really good thing if government backing is in place to actually invest in all of these things. The Green Investment Bank from a few years ago was sold off to an Australian firm who didn't make any green investments and everyone lost lots of money. Also, Brexit and Covid recovery may or may not affect the idea of the City of London being anything other than a weird ghost town where tourists go to see the last remnants of pret a and what it was like when people had to go to meetings wearing trousers. So, those are the 10 points which now don't include previously mentioned plans to guarantee a stop to funding fossil fuels projects overseas or a ban on new gas boilers from 2023. So, as always, this is not enough to do much, but it is enough to say they're doing something at all. But really, the only thing that's green about this is how naive anyone is to think Johnson might actually manage any of it successfully. And now, back to Ursula. We've seen uh, a marked change in how our government have reacted since uh, Joe Biden became president-elect in in the US. And I wondered if, um, you know, I wondered if American politics affect Polish politics in in a similar way. I saw that uh, someone in the Polish government was blaming leftist elites for wanting to destroy, you know, the the same rhetoric that you're getting everywhere for wanting to destroy um, Polish policies or something, you know. And and I, I wondered if you're similarly affected by American politics or if you're more affected by the politics of somewhere like Hungary that I know is, uh, you know, working with Poland in, in blocking Brexit at, uh, Brexit policies. And do you think that you might see a change now that, that Trump's been defeated uh, where you are as well? Uh, this is another interesting point that you're making, because I would uh, I would say that Great Britain and Poland are very similar in this respect. Uh, in um, in how strong their ties to American politics are. And in the case of Poland, it's because, first of all, there is like a massive, Pol- there was a massive Polish immigration to the United States. So many Polish families have family in the U.S. That's not, so it's on a personal, on a family level. But also on a different level for Poland, especially under communism, and also for the generation of politicians who are in uh, in power at present, the U.S. has always been like this balancing force, you know, you know, like the good one against the bad guy that was, you know, the communist bloc from the East, you know. So it's always been regarded as this natural ally of us in our struggle and in our... um, you know, fight and problems with Russia, you know, with our Eastern neighbors, the big Eastern neighbors, right? Uh, So American politics is very important in Poland and the right wing is very pro-American and very pro-Republican. 
And our president did not even congratulate Joe Biden until the very last minute that he had to. And he issued, you know, congratulations on Twitter that were later quoted in the American press as non-congratulations, the way you have non-apologies and stuff. Uh, so, uh, so they are at a tight spot right now uh, with Joe Biden having been elected. They didn't expect that at all, you know, and being involved. I know that not even our ministries were preparing for the shift, potential shift in American administration until the very last minute that they had to, you know. Uh, American soldiers were invited from Germany to Poland last year, you know, to form military bases here in Poland that we are paying for, actually, and that we are going to feed all those people, etc. Uh, so uh, our right wing was doing all they could to be pro-Trump, pro-Republican and pro-American, um, you know, like being blind to so many side effects that, you know, it came with. Um, and yeah, I think this is going to affect what's, what's going to happen in Poland and how things are going to develop um, because they are not happy with Joe Biden, you know, putting us in the same row as uh, Belarus and, uh, and, and Hungary. So I'm really interested in watching and seeing how it's going to develop. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating, isn't it? I, 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 amazing as well. Similar, you know, very similar. Our prime minister didn't tweet until much later than everyone else, and then tweeted a message that people could see in the background still had the name Trump in it. <laughs> so it's, it's a very, it's, it's amazing how similar um, our politics are right now. Um, and and I, I, I wanted to ask. I mean, let's get a bit more hopeful, I guess. You know, you've had these amazing protests. People have really risen up to to challenge the government at the moment, despite everything. Are you feeling very hopeful? about um, what Poland looks like in the future? Because I, am I right in thinking the next election won't be till 2023? Is that correct? Uh, that's correct. So we have three more years to go and a lot of things can happen. Uh, but definitely I, I am hopeful because this is a massive uh, social shift. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I have always been, let's say, um, disappointed with the fact that, you know, the Polish public see politics as something uh, distant, as something dirty, something they don't want to have anything to do with uh, because it's wrong, bad, etc., etc. And right now, this politics, you know, those policies, uh, you know, formulated by people they don't agree with and that they actually loathe in a way, came to kick them in the butt, you know, they became very personal. So, uh, so it's a moment when people start, started to realize that you might not be interested in politics, but the politics is interested in you. You know? Uh, so, um, so, I, I, so I can see that there is like a slow shift in how people regard also themselves in terms of relationship towards politics and policies. Like four years ago, the protests in the streets, oh, we are apolitical, we don't want to have anything to do with any political party, etc., etc. Right now, everybody knows, okay, we, uh, we are not doing this for any po particular political formation, but it is, it is political. Those protests are political. 
and it is you know spoken out loud that this is politics what we are doing in the streets protesting in the streets you know so people uh and i i think this is of key importance that people realize that politics is not only something done in those distant cabinets and behind closed doors, that if they want anything to change and be changed, then they need to get involved. And those people who are in the streets, you know, all those activists, you know, you don't go out protesting in the street and then you don't go back to sit in front of the TV, you know. There's like a whole of generation of people who are going to be personally involved that's coming. And this is a very good thing. It's going to take a while before all those social change kicks in. And I am sure that we are still going to go through pretty dark times here in Poland. But I, I definitely see the light at the end of the tunnel. Do you think the government are going to have to listen to the protests? I mean, they've been massive. And as you said, they've now gone on for several weeks. Is Do you think they're going to have to pay attention to them? Uh, oh, uh, they have already had to pay attention to them. You know, uh, they tried to ignore what's been happening for a very long time, but it didn't work out well because, you know, a million of people in the streets, that's not easy to ignore, no matter how much of official propaganda you send, you send, you know, and no matter how much money you put into trying to cover it all up, uh, you know, you look behind the window and you see what's happening, right? Um, so they have already had to do that. Uh, right now, you know, they adopted the best possible strategy, which is to wait it all out. But, uh, you know, and I know that the police, they have been instructed to uh, gradually be more, let's say, uh, cruel, you know, with the protesters. And as the groups are going to be growing smaller, the, you know, the easier it's going to be for the police to single people out and, uh, you know, and punish them for, uh, for what they are doing, etc. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, but I would say the immediate impact on the policy and politics of today is very different from the social impact on the policies and politics of in three years time. Because what we have seen here in Poland, and this is very interesting, you know, there was like a massive and a dramatic drop in the support for the ruling party right now. None of the other political parties noted any improvement. So it's not like people stopped supporting, you know, Law and Justice Party and decided to vote for Levica, you know, the left-wingers, or decided to vote for the liberals or something. No, they simply, uh, you know, say that there is no proposal on the table. There is no proposal, nothing for them, you know. There is nothing on offer on this political table for them. That's amazing. That's really that's quite inspiring. I mean, because I mean, you know, I think it, it's it, it signifies something that I feel a lot uh, 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 here in the UK and everywhere is that you know, there there don't there don't seem to be any main political groups that are giving or offering something new that that perfectly encapsulates everything we need in in today's world in today's world that's not only been hit by coronavirus but there's automation there's all sorts of issues with you know identity and, and that are going on right now and. 
all our parties here seem quite stuck in old fashioned methods to, to deal with all of these. And I, I wondered if, because I, I know that you're um, affiliated with the group and I, I'll pronounce this uh, as well as I can. Please correct me. Uh, is it Luica Razum or Levica Razum? Uh- I'm so sorry. Um, so and, and I wondered what the, you know, is 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 that what Poland needs right now? Is it does it need a, someone that's offering something new that actually understands what what people need and how likely are you to, to get that? Well, you, you know, um, it's actually difficult to say, you know, like Levita Razem was founded in uh, 2015, so not that long ago. And uh, uh, we have six MPs uh, in the left uh, in the left wing parliamentary club in the Polish Parliament right now, um, but. Uh, it's very difficult, you know, with the public media being overtaken by the, uh, you know, governing party, with the opposition media being openly pro-liberal, um, you know, uh, and the only space that's left is the social media that have very limited impact due to how they work and due to algorithms that we do not control. Uh, in any shape or form whatsoever, right? So it's actually like people are disappointed that there is nothing on the table for them. But on the other hand, uh, coming up with a proposal is one thing, but having people actually see that the proposal is there is another, you know, because there is like a wall of misinformation of uh, of actually, uh, you know, I, I would say it's extremely difficult to put that offer out there even if you have one, yeah? But it will need to happen sooner or later because that's exactly what actually like most of people in Poland, like we see in the polls and uh, and their answers to various questions, that's exactly what they're looking for. They're looking for something new. Um, and the, this, you know, this needs to, let's say, um, not appear because, not appear, but they need to realize somebody needs to provide them with an information that it is there. It's just that there is mechanisms that for so long haven't allowed you to see it. So that's yeah. what I think. And, and have you, are you, are you hopeful that they, you know, will, will find uh, groups like, like uh, Levita Razum or are you hopeful that they will find something new? Because it certainly sounds like the, a large portion of the country is, is desperate for change. Uh, I, I would say that uh, something new, definitely, like that we are also uh, seeing that um, this uh, clear and very old divide uh, into what's liberal in terms of society, what's liberal in terms of economics, you know, right, left, etc., that this divide no longer corresponds with the reality of our lives, you know, uh, because, for instance, some... Uh, some very pro-environmental, some some very green solutions are very not left, you know, uh, and the ecology itself is a conservative idea, you know. So we are living through a times of uh, reformulating the definitions and finding the, you know, new definitions to the terms. And that's what will happen on the political scene as well. So uh, so there, I, I find that there will be place for everyone. I just don't think that it's going to be uh, uh, not necessarily in the form as we know it today. Well, I wish you best of luck. And, and I think, uh, as you said, we should all be 
looking towards Poland to um, see where things might go uh, for ourselves as well. Um, and, and I wondered, I'd, and I should also say thank you for talking to me today with, uh, I, I didn't tell the listeners, but you, you've got a very big cat on your lap <laughs> during all this. Uh, he said it was Grendel. So thank you. He's ov- obviously very well behaved throughout. Um, but um, I just wondered the last question, which is that uh, I ask all the guests on this, um, which is just that, you know, apart from yourself, um, I wondered where you could recommend that people go to, to especially English speaking uh, listeners of this, where they could find useful information on Polish politics, because sadly, largely uh, underreported over here. Um, yeah, so I, I would recommend you to regularly check out what uh, notes from Poland, uh, what they publish, they publish on their uh, Facebook page and they have a web page, what they do, uh, highly professional, very well researched. Um, there is also political critique uh, and there is like a leftist uh, tint uh, to what they do. Um, and uh, and also OKO Press, O-K-O, OKO uh, Press, they sometimes publish in English as well. Um, and this is like top journalism. This is like a crowd, crowdfunded independent medium here in Poland. I think this is a project we can all be proud of, you know, like honestly. Uh, completely independent, really well written, really well done. That's what I recommend to all of you as well. Thank you so much to Ursula for having time to talk. You can find her on Twitter at Ursula Kukzensk, uh, which, yes, I'll put in the podcast blurb so you can click on it and don't have to try and spell it. I fully sympathise with my stupid name. Um, Ursula writes lots of online blogs and posts, but obviously they're all in Polish, so best to just seek them out using your browser's translator if you, like me, need them in English. Notes from Poland, which Ursula recommends, was a genuinely useful resource uh, when researching what to ask her, as was politicalcritique.org and oko.press, which are all worth checking out. Huge, huge huge thank you to Chris Taswell for putting me in touch with us as that was a really fascinating and I think very useful chat to have too only a few more episodes of the year left so what else does this podcast need to cover in 2020 when there have been so many big issues like um, coronavirus or coronavirus or coronavirus or populism and coronavirus what have I missed? Drop me a line at Parpolbro on Twitter, the Partly Political Broadcast Facebook page, the contact page at partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk or email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com or just bully someone into doing it but insist you didn't mean to, especially all the bullying you did on purpose and I'll definitely interview them if only to give them an hour away from your bullying self where all we'll discuss is how much of a bully you are and everyone will hate you even if you get a fancy new job in the home office as always it's probably just best to email isn't it and that's all for this week's partly political broadcast podcast which means it's time for the pop bro hot podcast fact um this week with the home secretary's behavior being found to breach ministerial code what is the worst breach of code by an mp um well i'll be honest this was pretty tricky to find so they're all very recent but in at number three is of course disgraced mp liam the disgraced fox who breached ministerial code one of his two times by taking his pal an old punch cartoon adam werity on 18 foreign trips where werity handed out cards to the political contacts fox met saying that he was an advisor in what how to scam free holidays off the government by having a pal with no ethics no wonder fox thought post-brexit trade would be easy when he was always allowed to bring a pal for free wherever he went in at number two is rejected toby jug damian green who had to resign after it was found he'd made misleading statements about porn found on his computer in 2008 not that he had the porn you understand he'd have to apologize about that or the sexual harassment cases against him he just said that he didn't have any porn on his computer which means none of the other mps got to have a look at it and that is bang out of order because they all love seeing people get screwed and exploited 
And in at number one, yes, it's Pretty Mattel for the first time she breached ministerial code as International Development Secretary in 2017 when she had unauthorised meetings with Israeli government officials while she was meant to be on holiday. I suppose none of us should be surprised that Patel's way of relaxing is to secretly meet with those who also get off on hostile borders. But it really is remarkable that she's now in charge of national security after spilling government secrets with whoever she'd met by the pool that day. Yes, Patel now competes with Liam Fox for who is the most disgraced, but I'm sure she'll be on top of the charts by the end of the year, having tried to microwave a puppy in the Commons kitchen or having killed a staff with a letter opener because they walked into her office without knocking. And that's this week's Pop Up by Hot Pogos Fact. If you enjoyed this week's show or any week's show or even just another show that exists somewhere in the ether, then why not tell everyone to subscribe and listen to this one? Yeah, just pretend the other show you like is this one. Insist that this one is actually about true crime, really, because so much of what the government are doing should be criminal. So you could just sort of put a creepy jingle over this show, sing it along while you listen. It'd basically be the same, wouldn't it? Basically the same. Give us a lovely five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox or Acast, and fling some cash at the Kofi Patreon or Acast support kit. Supporter pages, if you can. Cheers tons to Acast, my brother the last sceptic, Cat Day and Katie Coxall. And this will be back next week when all the civil servants resign in protest of Johnson refusing to sack Pretty Patel for bullying staff, and she ends up just having to pick on Dominic Raab, who won't stop crying and insisting that he does karate. Bye! This week's show is sponsored by Corona Land Gifts. Not sure what to get your loved ones this Christmas? Take a trip to Corona Land and we'll gift wrap your mouth and nose so that on December 25th, relatives can excitedly unwrap your face to see what they're going to get. Is that for me? Oh, you shouldn't have. No, you really, really shouldn't have. Make sure you don't leave any member of your family behind when it comes to 2020's hot trends. Corona Land Gifts, where we guarantee microbe is your crobe too. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.